following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. There was a, you know, a, a lot of wham, which by the love that song. Oh, I love that. Hey, hey I like it. Uh-oh. She's really having a Greek wedding in the background. <laughs> no, it's just me being me. <laughs> I, I thought that the minute that, that having to uh, uh, talk about that minute just got you so nuts. I'm like, ah, I'm gonna, I gotta have a drink. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Flash Gordon Minute, presenting your hosts from Minute of Darkness and the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast, Brad, and introducing your intrepid explorer of Planet Mongo, Eric. It is Minute 49 of Flash Gordon. Eric, how you doing tonight? Brad, I'm Agent Eric, number 1138 of the Imperial Podcasting Infiltration Group. Hail Ming! Hail Ming. Hail Ming. So, uh, also, uh, another super agent with us, uh, Carol Pincheski. Carol, how are you this evening? I'm very well, thank you. I am enjoying uh, fond memories of Flash Gordon. Something that I wanted to touch upon real quick. You uh, mentioned yesterday some of the uh, fantastic publications that you've been associated with. You uh, have had uh, works published in Playboy. Yeah, actually, I got to write, I know only one work so far, but hopefully another one will be coming shortly. But uh, I got to write about feminism for Playboy. That's really interesting, and the people aren't familiar, and I, I don't know how much cultural awareness there is about what Playboy is and what it has been, because uh, obviously when you think of Playboy, you think of, first off, you, you, you think of the nude pictorials, and you also, of course, think of Hugh Hefner, but Playboy has been a wonderful venue for some excellent writing with some top-tier writers, and I know it's something that they have gotten away from and then have tried to come back to. And I, I think they're on, I remember reading, because, uh, what was it, one or two years ago, they stopped, I want to say there was a six, six to 12 month period where they ditched the new pictorials and they were trying to become a little bit more of an upscale, go back to some of the, the those basics of having the great articles and the, the, the fantastic writing and, and, and that. And um, so it's, that's actually really cool. Uh, how, how long ago was your uh, was your article in there? It was the last week of 2017. So, yeah, a few months, a few months. But um, it was uh, talking about why Star Wars has not had a female director. And we're talking not just the, the main series of films, but the, but the really obscure television series like Star Wars droids never had hmm. a female director. Uh, Star Wars uh, Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels never had a female director, but but luckily there's been enough concern for lack of female representation that it looks like there will eventually be a female director of Star Wars. But the interesting thing about it is there's gender parity in their C-suite, and uh, their board of directors, rather. Um, uh, half of the board of directors of Lucasfilm uh, is female, and you don't see that anywhere else in any kind of corporation you're lucky if you have you know 20 percent female to male ratio and kathleen and kathleen kennedy of course runs lucasville yes well now yeah absolutely i originally said we will have a female 
uh, director as soon as Kathleen Kennedy says we will have one. Mm, but right, you right. Know, the editor said, like, we don't want to set women up against each other. Like, yeah, okay, I get that. But but it's it's the fact. The fact is, Kathleen Kennedy is the person who holds the power, which is great. Yeah, and uh, she sort of runs that world with an iron fist. It- well, you don't really, I mean, you don't have to look too further than, I mean, she's changed directors on multiple occasions. She hasn't been happy with what she's seen, and she's not afraid to say, all right, this isn't working, I'm bringing someone else in. And, and I don't want to say that as if it's a, a negative. The Star Wars franchise uh, has been very, very successful and very well run, and she obviously takes the, as she should, um, takes the, her stewardship of that franchise very seriously. She's been a, uh, a good steward and somebody who uh, obviously has a lot of passion for the franchise and has made a lot of good decisions. Right. Regardless if you agree with all of them or not, The Last Jedi made worldwide over a billion dollars. Doing something right. Wow. <laughs> Must be nice to be able to print money. <laughs> So, but that's not what we're talking about. We are talking about minute 49 of Flash Gordon Minute. Erica, talk to you. What what happens in minute 49? Well, we uh, start out here. We've got uh, Zarkov being uh, quizzed by Clytus and Kala to see how well his brainwashing uh, took hold. And um, I find his performance, quite honestly, pretty unconvincing because he, <laughs> he gets his name wrong immediately, does a little sideways eye glance at Clytus is like, is he buying it? Oh, he's not. Let me say what I'm supposed to say. Yet Clytus, for all of his evil genius, he buys it. Yeah, I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> but uh, but, it, but it's a hint that he has not been successfully mind-wiped. So, it, so the audience is not in despair, like, oh no, no, not Zarkov. It would have been interesting if, if they had, you know done sign kind of a fake out you know would have left you know let the audience think for five ten minutes that Zarkov what indeed was bad and just have a little twist in there when I rewatch this uh, for the show this is sort of the fun of doing minute by minute is you really I, I and I've said this before about minute by minute format in general is like it's great it gives you a chance to really examine every minute until you stop liking the movie <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> I still love Flash Gordon, but uh, you, you do. I think I love, the, I, I love the movie even more now than I did when before we started. Agreed. Agreed. I, I like introspection and inspection. I, I love looking at minutia. I agree. I understand. I, I still love Flash Gordon, but it is funny that just how much you look into all the little details. But I, I just watched it. It's like, was I ever convinced that this worked? <laughs> Because it, it's it's really you're right. It's a very unconvincing uh, performance that he's giving. Is like Zarkov. Oh, I mean Agent Zarkov. I, I, all he, the only thing missing was like him winking at the audience. Is like you know Agent <laughs> wink, wink, wink. Or it's like when my my oldest kid is you know being sarcastic with me, and I start telling him to do stuff, and he's like you know Sir, yes sir. He starts doing it's you know <laughs> okay, just just stop messing around, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's um. Uh, it's very telegraphed. Uh, I do gotta say, Zarkov looking good in red. Uh, he looks, <laughs> you know, it's sort of fun to see Tolpal uh, gussied up. Uh, so far, it really seems like it's been uh, Aura and Dale who've been uh, doing all the costume changes, especially Dale. Uh, in the three minutes, I think she's on her second outfit already. Just in these three minutes, Dale's probably on her what? Fifth uh, outfit of the movie so far. I think she's got a couple more changes to go. So they. Uh, so, you know, it's good that Zarkov got to change out of his uh, laid-back professor look. Although with the red outfit now and, and the, the 
the beard. He's got a bit of a Dr. Reinhardt look going from the black hole. Oh, my gosh. Ooh. <laughs> wow. Oh. <laughs> Digging deep. I can't remember the last time I thought about the movie The Black Hole. Awesome. <laughs> a good reference. <laughs> I saw that in theaters. Me too. Me too. I didn't. And uh, here's where I have a confession. I didn't see Flash Gordon in theaters, nor did I see The Empire Strikes Back in theaters. Oh. Do you know why? What happened in the year 1980? That is so I I was not like other children. I was protesting. I was 11 years old, and I was protesting color film. I was only watching black and white at that point. Whoa! Wow! Wow! wow. And and yet, and Flash Gordon is the literal opposite of a black and white film. This is yeah, this is but, this is a major admission here. A Flash Gordon minute exclusive. <laughs> but we lived near a revival theater here in New York City. Uh, New York City was just filled with movie theaters that only showed revival movies because nobody had VCRs or the few that did, you know, humans couldn't afford them, only only companies. So I would go out to the revival theaters and just watch all the black and white movies I could see. So. Now you say, you, so you were 11 when this was? Yeah, because so I, was that, I, was born, like, I was born in 69. Were so you I, led down that path by your parents or you made that choice at that young age on your own? kind of both. I mean, my father encouraged me, you know, he was the one who said, hey, let's watch a Fred Astaire Ginger Rogers movie. And I said, oh boy, yay. <laughs> so I would, and then I would be the one who dragged him to those movies. So, yeah. What's one of the black and white movies that you really enjoyed that would surprise us? So, you know, obviously. Well, I mean, all the Fred Astaire Ginger Rogers movies, I loved them all. I loved them all. And they were color. The last one was color, I think. So, uh, it's been a while, <laughs> but yeah, uh, uh, a movie that I loved from that time that surprised me. Oh, well, okay, one of my favorite movies of all time, and, and I'm I'm deeply geeky, but one of my favorite films of all time um, was made in 1934. It's called Trouble in Paradise, and I didn't see it in theaters because it was, it was very risque, because um, there was something called the Production Code of 1934. Have you heard of that? <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I remember learning about that when I um, I was taking a Tennessee Williams class and uh, they talk about the movie Baby Doll. Yeah, that that was very much against the production code. It was pretty much broken at that point. But um, basically, movies before 1934 had extremely adult content, and after 1934, you got something called the slapstick comedy, or or you, know, you just got a lot of um, no, not slapstick. It was called the um, I can't remember. There was a name for it, uh, like bringing up baby. But before that, there in the 1930s, early 1930s, you had the sophisticated comedy. And there was a line in Trouble in Paradise, and it still makes me laugh. Um, uh, the the rich woman is interviewing the the uh, poor man who she doesn't know is the thief trying to steal trying to steal her her necklace. Um, she says. Um, uh, he he says, "Oh look, your accounts are terrible. If you were if uh, you were my daughter, I would spank you." And she says, "Well, what if you were my secretary?" And he said, "I would still spank you." And she says, "You're hired." <laughs> yeah, that's just like a taste of the kind of of humor that you have in those early thirty films. So I I really recommend them. Eric, do you have a, like a favorite? Uh, and something uh, like a little off the beaten path. So, you know, not Casablanca or um, Citizen Kane, but you, you, like a old time, an, an older black and white film that you, that, uh, that holds a special place for you. Uh boy, I think all the black. I think they're all 
mainstream stuff. Like, I, you know, a, a lot of Hitchcock stuff, uh, The Pride of the Yankees. Yes, yeah, Citizen Kane, of course. I, 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 any any black and white stuff that I've been a big fan of is, is pretty mainstream stuff. I I had a really interesting conversation at work where a couple of coworkers and people whose opinions I respect and have a, a had an affinity for the geeky stuff in life, but they both said it's like, ah, you know what I uh, what movie I just don't understand why people get so excited about Citizen Kane. I mean, what's the big deal? I mean, why would people <laughs> get so excited? And then they turn to me and it's like, oh, Brad, you know movies. I mean, what do you think of Citizen Kane? And at this point, it would have been a good idea to just, like, lie and say, oh, I don't really have an opinion. Even as, like, I just looked at him and was like, you guys are nuts. It's a brilliant movie. And, they, <laughs> and they're like, oh? And I, and I said, it's like, first off, you have to understand the reason why it seems sort of boring to you is because so much of the camera tricks and narrative things that they did in that movie you see all the time because everyone's ripping that movie off. Right, he created all of that. Right. It, it's like uh, listening to Pet Sounds, Beach Boys and Pet Sounds, where you, some people will listen to it and they don't really get what the big deal is. It's like, you don't understand. It's because you hear influences of that album all the time, and right. it didn't exist before then. It's the same thing with Citizen Kane. John Carter of Mars had that problem, too. came out in, what was it, 2012? And, uh, and it just didn't do very well. First of all, it was marketed terribly. And second, I mean... John Carter of Mars was written by Edgar Rice Burroughs in God the 1910s, I believe. And and the science fiction that we know and love is kind of based on John Carter. So um, uh, when people didn't re- react to the film and said, eh, I've seen this before, like, no, you saw it first. <laughs> that, that was what you saw originally, even if you didn't see it. That's everything you've seen stems from it. So uh, I found that very, very frustrating. Yeah. yeah, not a bad movie, John Carter from Mars. So it was. Uh, I I liked it a great deal. Yeah, real shame because it sort of derailed everyone involved with it. Oh God, what a crime shame! Yeah, I I blame who who created it. I can't remember the producers, but I I blame them for their terrible terrible marketing. When you saw the posters, what you saw was a picture of John Carter, and I asked my friend who isn't as deeply into science fiction as I am. I said, quick, what is that? What kind of movie is that? And she said, a drama. She didn't even know yeah, I, I don't know how you take the words of Mars out of the title of a movie in this day and age if you're trying to market a movie. Well, that's because it was 2012, and actually it was a different landscape then. Yeah, and yeah. at that point, Mars Needs Moms had tanked. Oh, yeah. So that's but, what happened, but it was just a terrible decision. Like, yeah, taking out of Mars. No, don't be dumb. Oh, too late. <laughs> Before we go back to the minute, I just got to call out, because for me, a black and white movie that I loved, I'm actually a big Cary Grant fan. Oh, because he's awesome. <laughs> Especially loved, and I don't think this is one of the movies that Cary Grant even loved, but uh, that touch of Mink with him and Doris Day. Yeah, uh-huh. Really funny, funny movie that, uh, I say, you know, aside from the fact that, I mean, some of the humor has, hasn't necessarily aged or is no longer politically correct, but really funny movie. And Cary Grant is so damn good and so funny. Um, I mean, everyone thinks of him as like this great looking guy and he was a great looking guy, but he also had an amazing, uh, sort of deadpan comedic timing. He was wonderful. So, uh, yeah. He was bringing up baby, and that it was called screwball comedy. That's it, screwball comedy type of movie that came out in the mid to late thirties. 
uh, yeah, yeah, great, talented actor. And, and, you know, of course, I can think of a million different movies that I love, but um, to backtrack to Citizen Kane, um, so yeah, Citizen Kane is a great movie. And I, I went to film school at NYU and everyone was, we sat around a, a room and the teacher asked us, so what was the movie that hooked you into film school? And, you know, half of half the students said Citizen Kane, Citizen Kane, Citizen Kane. And they came to me and I said, The Empire Strikes Back. And the entire yes. room, the entire room groaned. Because really, I, I, I remember when geek culture was a punchline, as in you would get punched in the face if you admitted yeah. you were a geek, yep. because, uh, you know, just everyone groaned. But the fact is, look at The Empire Strikes Back. You've got this fight scene where you've got Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker, both dressed in black. They are fighting in this, I don't even know, oh, um, it was on Cloud City. I can't remember the name of the room in Cloud City, but the room is completely black. In the background, you've got a black star field. So you've got black on black and black, and yet you can see everything absolutely clearly. And I just loved it. I fell in love with it. Well, no argument. I mean, it's my favorite movie of all time, so no arguments here. Yeah, <laughs> but I, <laughs> I put Trouble in Paradise up there. <laughs> you really have to see it. 1932, or was it 34? Or I got to look it up, but it's excellent. So, yes. It's a great time to be into the movies that we are into. Right. Because the stigma has gone away, and uh, every time where I see, um, you know, some cute 20-year-old girl or guy walking down the street uh, wearing a uh, wearing a Batman shirt or wearing a Spider-Man uh, you know, insignia, or I, I just feel like, wow, that that just would not have happened, uh, you know, when I was uh, when I was in high school. Yeah. I'm so jealous and a little bitter. But uh, mostly, I'm just really happy. I, I I do have some bittersweet about this whole thing that that geek culture has been accepted. Um, I'm embittered because yeah, I was I was treated very very badly by my peers just because I liked no I, I love passionately what I love and uh, and you know sweet because you know the geeks have won we won. <laughs> yeah, I mean look, as we record these episodes infinity war just came out uh less than a week ago and you know i mean it's it's in a week it's going to make about a billion dollars which is just unbelievable and you know sure go back 20 years ago if a movie like this comes out it would have been a success but the the level it would it would not have been the level even close to the level it's at right now right well just look at the matt salinger captain america movie they spent maybe a million dollars on that it was right Exactly. Bad. <laughs> but it was something that fans could embrace because we can kind of look past the bad into into. We had so few crumbs. We we would just take whatever oh, crumbs offered us. I, re- I remember watching the Dolph Lundgren Punisher movie, and, <laughs> and I just I was like, this is like you know I mean, this is what I'm getting as a comic book fan. This this movie is horrible. Dolph Lundgren is horrible. It's not even anything like the comic. And I like that's but I watched it just because there was that's all that's all I had. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, the. I just um, interviewed a lawyer about this recently, uh, and she said that the reason it's the reason uh, 
pop culture has, well, sorry, science fiction has won pop culture essentially because there is a lower barrier to entry than ever before. Because, you know, when we were younger, we had to walk uphill 10 miles, downhill 10 miles in order to get to a convention. And, you know, we had to, you know, write our fanzines and mimeograph them and mail them out. And now if you want fan culture, you just go online. I thought that was interesting. Well, but that's not. All <laughs> right, I'm so good. No, 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 Brad, no. are we doing your Cosmic Geppetto podcast tonight? Yeah, that's what we're gonna have to do. <laughs> Going back to Flash Gordon, but here's the thing: this minute doesn't have a lot. We have no, no, but but I had a cool metaphor that I thought up though when rewatching this minute. As the ship approaches Aborea, I love the look of Aborea. It's like a half a planet. It's covered in trees, and all I could think about was it looks like a salad bowl filled with salad. <laughs> Um, I really liked the um, the uh, the shop before we go into Aborea with all the colors and and it looked like three different shots, uh, you know, composed on top of each other uh, when you when you first see them heading towards Arborea. Mm-hmm. And and my husband took a look at this and he said it looks like they're inside V'ger. <laughs> So if you want a, another <laughs> out there reference, let's, for, <laughs> let's see how how many how many non Flash Gordon uh, science fiction properties can we mention in one episode? <laughs> well, that was Star Trek: The Motion we Picture. Star Trek. We got Star Wars. We got uh, Black Hole. Yeah, it's insane that you bring that up, Viger, because I just watched the um, Cinema Sins on Star Trek: The Motion Picture <laughs> earlier today. <laughs> Awesome. And watching that, and, and so they're showing it, and they show it's like, oh, it was actually Voyager and Viger. And then realizing, oh my god, the captain that Kirk replaced, who then I guess uh, was the dad from Seventh Heaven. Yeah. yeah. Stephen uh, Collins. Collins. Yeah, sure. But you know, unfortunately, he has fallen from grace with the outing of his uh, pedophilia. Yeah, yeah, he's another celebrity who uh, did some very, very wrong, bad things. I know, and I had a crush on him too. So uh, now I, I have to scrub my soul. I liked him in Jumpin' Jack Flash. <laughs> I got a better one for you. <laughs> I liked him in a, in a movie called Dark Mirror, or was it Broken Mirror? It was a made-for-TV movie starring him and Jane Seymour. <laughs> Oh, boy. Oh, God. Deep uh, cuts, deep cuts. Oh, God. How painful. <laughs> well, I liked him, too. And uh, Seventh Heaven was a terrible show that my wife liked. Really? And you married her? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Actual conversation that happened at work once. It was right before, I think it was Last Jedi came out. And uh, the guys in the office were like, oh, when are you going to see it? When are you going to see it? And I was like, ah, I'm probably going to. And as I often do with uh, the geekier movies that I like, sometimes I just go by myself when uh, the kids go to bed. And uh, it's like, well, you're not going to get babysitters? So like, ah, my wife isn't really a Star Wars fan. And they, my, I was actually asked, I was like, and you married her? I was like, there's other things that she do. <laughs> <laughs> Which shut that conversation down real quick. Wow, my husband and I police each other's geek cred. <laughs> like, I, I... I was just so witheringly mean to him when I when I learned he didn't know what Shazam meant. <laughs> you know what Shazam is, right? Yeah, sure. 
I don't know. I, I don't know if I could get all six letters, but okay, try it. Let's do it. Uh, oh, okay, no. all right, all right. Well, the Z is Zeus. I know that. Okay, right. But I I've uh, got the wisdom of Solomon. Okay. Strength of Hercules. Right. Uh, H A. Uh, Apollo. Apollo. Oh God! No, I forgot. Oh God. Or Atlas, maybe. I don't, uh... No, 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 no. Shazam. Speed of Aries. Aries. No. I'm pretty sure it's. I think it's Aries. Well, Aries wouldn't be speed though. Aries no, no. God of War. Uh, well, yeah, hold on. Oh God. Uh, Solomon, Hercules, Atlas, Atlas, Zeus, Achilles, and M. Mercury. Yep. All right. Yep. Between the three of us. All right. We, yeah. <laughs> we did it. We did it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, sh- Shazam. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, another reference. So yeah, that's how me and my husband and I are to each other. <laughs> we are we're constantly like trying to one up each other. I I just adore being married to him. <laughs> <laughs> well, my wife, uh, yeah, she sort of has been slowly dragged to this world. Uh, by the bias being married you tell you what she she surprises me every now and then because she listens and every now and she'll just i remember her and i were competing in a trivia contest and uh one of the questions was like who's played batman and she was like oh well you know at that point it was clooney keaton and kilmer and then she's like oh and don't forget adam west is like i love her so much awesome yeah my, my my relationship is almost based on a lie. Uh, we, I, I, I was <laughs> I was on my second date with my wife, and she made some reference where she goes, "Soylent Green is people. It's people." And I was like, "Oh wow, this is, this woman's awesome. She's making a Soylent Green reference. This is a keeper." We start uh-huh. dating, and you know, it then you know gets you know engaged and married. Well, it turns out she had never seen Soylent Green. When she made that joke, she was quoting the Saturday Night Live sketch that goofs on Soylent Green. <laughs> she didn't even really get what was going on. She just said it to be funny. And he, and, and it turns and she's not a sci-fi geek at all. And now, you know, here we are, 10, 12 years later, two kids. And she didn't even know what Soylent Green was. I based the whole thing on her making that Soylent Green joke. Oh, my God. That's so funny. <laughs> my, my husband and I met on Match.com, and I... I actually never joined. I was on my free one-week trial, and ah. I, I looked at all the men in New York, like player, player, player. <laughs> so I expanded my search to include all of Europe, and, and that's where I met him. He was living in England at the time. He's he's English. So, um, but he he name-checked uh, Ian M. Banks. Do you know who he is, Ian M. Banks? He he writes space opera. Really, he wrote. Unfortunately, he's deceased now, but he he wrote really deep dive space opera just incredible mind-bending stuff and 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 he name-checked that and he name-checked elf quest (laughs) 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 okay (laughs) here's the one (laughs) i uh wow (laughs) how long did you guys meet i met him in 1998 on match.com huh yeah, Match.com has been around a long time. Yeah, I remember when I met my wife, and we met in two. Uh, we met in '99, and it was right before the, like, it was right when everyone was starting to do online dating. Like the stigma was starting to go away. Um, so it was. I was on Match.com too. <laughs> I met I met my wife on Friendster.com, which doesn't exist anymore. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Blast from the past. 
All right, so Flash says, uh, how far are we? And Aura says, okay, Th this line has bugged me since I was a little kid. She says 6.4, okay? Brad, this is number six in Lazy Script Writing Tracker <laughs> because it's like, what? how is Flash supposed to know what 6.4 means? It's basically, you know, Semple didn't want to use an Earth measurement because it would have been too unrealistic to have an Earth measurement, but he just couldn't be up bothered to create just one nonsense word, so we just 6.4 and just left it there. And that's bugged me since I was a kid. They should have just come up with a unit of measure, and it should have been Mongo-centric. It's like 6.4 Mongo meters, because... <laughs> yeah, right. Or, or right. minglets or something, because... Um... <laughs> I, I think it should be minglets. Because <laughs> but... Ming sounds like the sort of guy that would want math based around him. Well, it was Mongo time. Mongo right. mean time, right? So Exactly. So there should be Mongo... Mongo measurements. Yeah, but uh, I, I, Flash Gordon isn't the only only you know film or book to do this sort of thing. I mean, it's it's a, a common trope in science fiction, just kind of keep the world otherworldly, you know, to just kind of hand wave distance and time. Oh, definitely, and and I always sort of enjoy that, and of course it becomes funny where you can see how much or how little effort the uh, author put into it is like, uh. Well, we have five showbacks. It's like, that doesn't mean anything. And there's no indication of what that distance or that time means. It's like, And then then I think about shows like um, Futurama, where they would have this alien graffiti, and it turns out it was a real language that they put effort into creating the language. And uh, There are two different languages in Futurama. Right, because the first one, they found it was too easy to, br the code was too easy to break, and then they came up with something more complicated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that stuff. That's why we do this show. <laughs> I, I dig minutia, but um, um, Eric, you know how you said um when they were when they were you know beaming down to the not beaming uh flying down to uh uh God, what is the name of the moon? Um, Arborea. Arborea. Yeah, yeah. When they were going down to Arborea, you thought a salad bowl. Yeah. I thought I thought Dagobah. Yeah. Once they get into yeah, you're right. Once they're like like entered the atmosphere, it's it's. Right. Yeah, it absolutely looks like Dagobah, I agree. But I looked this up, and it turns out The Empire Strikes Back was released in May of 1980, whereas Flash Gordon was released in, I think, November or December right. 1980. And it took three years in in production to make a movie. So, so I was thinking, like, what did the producers of Flash Gordon think when they're seeing this Dagobah scene? Oh, <laughs> brutal. This on their on in their movie but their movie isn't out yet like yeah i mean the um i can't remember if it was um screenwriter lorenzo semple or director mike hodges i remember doing the research for this show somebody said that you know they really thought the movie could have been successful had it come out before star wars but that star wars was done so realistically with the effects non-camp uh that it just they felt that one of the reasons that Flash Gordon didn't do as well as it could have was people had just seen Star Wars, had literally just seen Empire Strikes Back, and just they weren't interested in going back to this kind of special effects world. Right. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Uh, yeah, it must have completely let the air out when, when they saw that. And it was like, oh, we might be screwed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I felt very badly thinking about it. Like, well, yeah. Last note I have, Howard Blake Q, music Q number 18, is a little riff on the song The Kiss as they fly into Arborea. Yeah, we, we love our Howard Blake. Carol, I don't think you've gotten any queen. No, I don't, and that is so depressing. That is 
so depressing. You know, because really, when you think Flash Gordon, you think Queen. Um, and I th- think... I can't even say Flash Gordon without Queen. Flash <laughs> Gordon. Yeah, and uh, Eric and I have said in the past, we're both sort of ruined by doing this because when I, we, we just have that uh, sound in our head all the time now. <laughs> but that's a good sound. <laughs> I'd rather have that in my head than, you know... What were you talking about earlier? Celine, Celine Dion. <laughs> <laughs> Honest. And I'm not a Celine Dion guy, but it, it's not terrible. It's, uh, I'm watching. It's like. Stop. Stop, stop now. It's just because you. it's Dude, funny. Just stop. Just stop now. I'm trying to save you. Stop now. <laughs> Brad, back away from the, back away from the microphone. <laughs> You know, the problem might be is my, my parents listen to a lot of Barbara Streisand. Oh, I love. She's she's so talented. It is how. A lot of comparable music. So perhaps that sort of big sound behind the female singer, I, I, I'm not completely, uh, I, I might have an affinity for. I actually once read an article. I was given the assignment, straight men who like Barbara Streisand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I do have one more thing to say about this minute, though. Please. Princess Aura says, I'll drop the flaps a little. Um, so uh, basically, we see that she's a competent pilot and that she's got freedom. And I don't. I think she has freedoms that a lot of people on Mongo don't have. I think, you know, she has the ability to command her own ship. She, she is independent. She is intelligent enough to fly the thing and independent enough to not want someone to fly her. So I like that. Yeah, Ming Ming definitely he he does not keep a, a rein on his on his one child. He definitely lets her do her own thing. Aura is such an interesting character because she has sexual agency. She's smart. She's independent. She's sort of the one pulling the strings a lot. Uh, she goes after what and who she wants. So in a lot of ways, she's a very cool sort of progressive character. But then the flip side of it, she also tends to sleep with people to get what she wants which creates sort of an odd feeling and we had the discussion before where the the doctor that she used to help uh, revive flash and it was it, it really seemed like it was somebody who she was not into but she was like well i guess i'm gonna have to strip this guy to keep him under my thumb which wasn't the greatest feeling so it, there's always complicated feelings about ara viewing her in a more modern context which is something you isn't completely fair to do. Yeah, because it's it seems to be a more sexualized society than we have. Oh, definitely, definitely. Sex seems to be just part of the landscape in a way that isn't in this society. No, completely. It's there in for the time when this movie came out, and we've talked to you know a bunch about just how daring this movie was with the way it would handle you know sort of the sexual politics for a PG movie. And of course, PG was different then than it is now because this was before the era of PG-13. So, ours a really impressive woman in those little in those little bits and pieces. You can really see how much depth there is to uh, the character and what she is capable of. And she's a beautiful, intelligent, capable woman. And uh, that's that's really cool. And uh, we're, we're soon going to see, uh, apparently, somehow uh, Dale gets a little bit of that influence because she's going to become more capable soon. But uh, uh, not tomorrow, though. <laughs> 
Carol, again, uh, you know, it's been amazing having you with us. Uh, where can people go to find out more about your writing? Um, my website right now is carolpinchevsky.com. Pin like the needle, chef like the cook, sky like the thing above you. Uh, I'm not writing as much as usual because I am focusing on a nonfiction book right now about geek culture. I'm not as productive as I typically am, but I am. It's just not, you, you can't see it just yet. Books take so long, and you're working very hard without a, a, a an immediate uh, output. So, uh, but I'm, I'm looking forward to, to hearing more about that and uh, eventually getting that book in my hands. So, uh, we... you're the one. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> Eric. Where can people find out more about Flash Gordon Minute? Before I do that, I just want to confirm it was I looked at my notes. It was Lorenzo Semple that made that comment about why he thought Flash Gordon didn't do so well because of Star Wars. So you can chat with us about. Lorenzo Semple's comments about why Flash on Twitter at Flash Gordon Pod or on email at Flash Gordon Minute at gmail.com. We love your ratings, reviews, and iTunes. And uh, this has been another fun minute. Uh, Carol has been an amazing guest. Uh, Eric, I'm really looking forward to tomorrow finishing out this week strong. Um, but, you know, it's all it's not all uh, biscuits and gravy. I, uh, I do have a problem. I don't see how you have a problem because I love biscuits and gravy. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's always the, 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 the best point. Before I recorded tonight, I came from my uh, uh, my second grade son's concert, and they were singing songs, and, uh, you know, uh, let's. I love my kid, but, you know, uh, it, it, it wasn't exactly a uh, Celine Dion concert in quality. <laughs> Good. But the problem is, uh, the way my brain works, I got this song where they talk about how they need a vacation, Stuck in my head, really, all day. This, this earworm has worked its way in. Just a bunch of little two-year-olds with their high-pitched voice just squeaking about, I need a vacation! And uh, it's making me crazy. I need a vacation. Well, I'm, 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 I don't know that song, so I'm glad that the earworm isn't going to enter my ear. But if you do have an earworm in your ear, as we make yet another reference, like in The Wrath of Khan, Star Trek II, boring through your brain, don't worry... <laughs> Flash will save every one of us. <laughs> Attention listeners, you can follow us on Twitter at Flash Gordon Pod and join the conversation on Facebook in the Flash Gordon Minute Listener's Vortex. Stay tuned for our next thrilling episode of Flash Gordon Minute. A friend of mine made fun of me. He's like, so you're listening to Rufus Wainwright and Ben Fold singing a Wham song. He's like, yeah. He's like, you're the whitest human being on the planet. <laughs> <laughs>
crowd. I wish that we could lose this crowd. Baby, it's better this way. We heard each other with the things we want to say. Wainwright in his new pants. <laughs>